Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Well, it's really very good to be with you this morning. Thank you for your warm welcome. And it's a, it's a, it's a really wonderful thing to be back in Fullwood. Um, I did come up on the way to Durham as a student, and it was wonderful to see the work going on there and how it's continuing today. Um, let's pray as we open up our Bibles and, and have Matthew 4 in front of us. Gracious God, thank you that you give us in these words, the the living words of Jesus to us today. Please quiet our hearts and minds to hear your truth and to respond as you call us to do so. And we ask this in your name. Amen. As Paul said, I spent some time in Uganda serving the church there for about three or, three or four years in the lead up. There was a few more years before that. But one, one of the really wonderful moments is when our carpenter, Dowder, came to give us some bookcases. We had a few books that needed to be made when we first arrived. And he brought the first one. He saw the books that, that were going on the shelf. One of them was a Bible. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, of course you can. Yeah, of course, any question. He said, why do you believe that... Um, there are three gods, he said. I said, it's a brilliant question from Muslim backgrounds. It's exactly the question that you'd want to see answered. And so I took him very simply to John's gospel. We saw that Jesus said that he and the Father was one and there was one God, not three. And he said, oh, okay, wonderful. It was a five-minute conversation. He came back again with another bookcase. And this time, as we were putting it in, he said, do you mind if I ask you another question? I said, of course, <laughs> ask away. And he said, well, why do you believe God died on a cross? It's again, it's a brilliant question if you're from a Muslim background. Because if you believe that Jesus is God and Jesus died on a cross, then why do you believe God died on a cross? 
And again, we just opened up the Bible, very simply took to some verses in 2 Corinthians 5. We explained that Jesus died, God as a man, dying in our place to take the, the wrongs that we'd done. And it's just one of those moments where he just said, oh, yeah, oh, okay, he said. And I thought, well, this is, this is interesting. So he went away and then came back with his mate John with the third bookcase. We, we had a few books. And um, he said, can you explain to John what you told me? Because we both now want to follow Jesus. I just, well, I just pinched myself. I thought, I haven't even prayed for the guy. And so we just sat down and literally opened up Mark's gospel, saw what Jesus asked of anyone who follows him. And they came to want to follow Jesus as their, as their, as their ruler, as their saviour then. But, but then Dowder came back and he said, can, I, can you go to my village? And I said, well, of course I can go to your village. Where, is it far? He said, no, it isn't far at all. And a few hours, a few chickens around my ankles later, uh, you know, sweating like a pig, feeling as though I was um, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Uganda. We came to a village, clearly there was no church. And I just sat in the courtyard on a, on a, on a, on a crate for, for Coke bottles and I was given, pardon me, uh, I was given a bottle of Coke from my, my hospitality and he gathered his whole family. And he said, can you please tell them what you told me because they've never heard it before. That's a fantastic conviction, isn't it? There's moments you live for as a Christian in a church where it doesn't get any better than that, does it? I'd done hardly anything. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the Bible open. But the doubter was convinced he didn't want anyone to stay in the dark. He didn't want his family to stay in the dark. And he didn't want them to go through their lives without anyone, someone, explaining to them in a language they could understand about Jesus Christ. He didn't want them to die without resurrection hope. And on a mission Sunday, on a, on a week when you're thinking about mission, it's good to look at a passage like this in Matthew, which talks all about the light of God's kingdom dawning, resurrection hope in the person of Jesus Christ. But as I was preparing, one of the things that really struck me as I was reading Matthew again was how I'd always thought that Matthew was for the Jewish people. You know, he quotes scripture all around, all the time, doesn't he? This is to fulfill what happened through the prophets, what was spoken through the prophets. He's speaking to the Jewish people, the Old Testament believers. But actually, when you read the, the Christmas stories again in Matthew, you realize that actually Matthew is interested in, in the gospel going beyond the Jewish nation into the nations. Matthew 1, when, when Jesus comes to, oh, sorry, when the Magi come to see Herod, the Jewish leaders pull out. Micah saying, well, he's to be born in Bethlehem, but who's the first people to, to worship Jesus? It's the Magi, people from the east, beyond Israel's borders. They're the first to worship Jesus, this newborn king. And then if you flick further back to the genealogy of Matthew, it gets even more interesting because he includes four Gentile women. And there's, there's, there's Tamar, whose checkered history ended up finding a child by very, very immoral means. Rahab, the prostitute, Ruth, who's incorporated into God's people by, by clinging to, to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And then, of course, there's Uriah. Uriah Hittite's wife, I should say, Bathsheba. All these women, non-Jewish, brought into 
the people of God. Matthew's agenda is that the gospel should always go to more people. It's no coincidence that Matthew frames his entire gospel with the nations streaming to Jesus with the Magi to worship and the disciples streaming out to the nations at the end of of, of Matthew 28. Go make disciples of all nations. So I was handed one of these church family news bulletins in the way and brilliant title, isn't it? Go and make disciples, exactly what Jesus tells us to do. The challenge of this chapter, or this section, is just to say in multicultural Britain, are we being intentional about making disciples the way Jesus is intentional about bringing people into his kingdom? And this, this passage just helps us to see his priorities and makes us think again. The real thing I want us to draw away is how Jesus intends to bring resurrection hope to all nations, all nations. And we first see it there in verses 12 to 17. Because in verse 12, it's after the arrest of John the Baptist, that triggers a withdrawal by Jesus. He moves house. He moves from where he is um, all the way up to Galilee. And it'd be easy to view view this as, as a retreat because when you read in verse 13 that he left Nazareth and went and lived in, uh, in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, they're just not tricky words to read. They are in the most nor- northern reaches of Israel. He's gone to the outer places, the, the back of beyond. He's actually gone to the most ethnically diverse place in Israel, both before and after the Assyrian conquest of the Israelites when they've been deported back in the Old Testament, you can read about it in two kings. The Assyrian king had brought people from Assyria into Israel. This is a a place which had received many immigrants with different gods and different priorities. This was an ethnically diverse place to be. And when when you read in verse 14 that actually he had done this for a reason it soon becomes apparent this is no retreat. This is a statement of intent by Jesus. He does it for a reason. And he does it to fulfill what God had promised through one of his mouthpieces called Isaiah, who spoke 600 or so years previous. And what he says here is astonishing. Because he quotes from the, the passage in Isaiah 9, which says, verse 15, in the the land of Zebulun, that's where Jesus just moves, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Do you see what he's doing? Jesus moves house, not to retreat, but with intent. He starts his ministry at the very point where he says, I'm not only for the Jewish people, I'm for the nations, and I'm actually here to bring... Well, light, life to the nations. Look at verse 16, it carries on. When Isaiah promised this, it says the people living in darkness. It's so easy to hear these words trip over, aren't they? Because we hear them at Christmas so often. But, but hear them again. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the shadow of death, under the darkness of death, A light has dawned. 
I think every philosophy in life tries to overcome the reality of our death and the reality that we all face, death. I had a relative die very recently and those realities are very close to me at this point in time. We cannot get away from that darkness that none of us can conquer, death. But what we have in Jesus, this isn't bravado, this isn't blind faith. What we have is Jesus saying, I'm the only person who is able to offer resurrection hope in the face of death because he's the only one who has gone through death and come out alive, witnessed by many. If that's news to you this morning and you're thinking, uh, I'm not even sure I can trust this message of the, of the Bible, let alone trust what you're saying in your explanation of this, Steve, then please do chat to the person you came to or, or read Matthew for yourself or, or come along to Christian Explore course. I'm sure there's one, there's one running. But what, Jesus, what Matthew's pointing out here is that what makes Jesus the great light that Isaiah spoke about is that he is resurrection light. He's the light that's dawned. And he is the one who, who means we can look forward with, and be with freedom and with rejoicing in hope that death is not the end and my body doesn't have to see decay and I can live in a relationship with God in a new, new creation, a new world order. These are wonderful truths, wonderful realities. But Jesus chooses to start his mission here in the, in, in the place where the Gentiles are. The place where the non people like us, the non-Jews, Jesus is intent on people from all nations coming in to His kingdom. I don't know whether you saw the sunrise this morning. I didn't on this occasion, but we we could see it all around the world today, couldn't we? Whether we're seeing it on the peaks of Sheffield or whether I'm one of the Bedouin people in northern Jordan whether I'm in Bangladesh as one of the Sileti speakers in the rural parts of Silet. The sun will rise on every single person today and it will set a few hours later. What Jesus is saying here is that with his coming, he is a sun, he is a light, a great light that will shine in this world until he returns. And the sun has not yet set on the time when nations can come to know Jesus. It's not over yet. That day hasn't yet finished. It dawned with Jesus. And it's yet to come. It's yet to finish. And it just means that we need to think, well, what would Jesus want of us? If this is his mission, if this is his intention, what's our mission? What's our intention as a church in Fullwood or in Sheffield or where I am in in Suffolk at the moment. I was in London for a time. As a nation, how should we respond? I don't know about you, but when I speak to my friends about Christ, there's a great resistance to the idea of there should be someone else that they should give their allegiance to being Jesus, let alone themselves. What Jesus says here is that we need to follow him And take his priorities of taking the gospel to people who are living and dying without ever hearing it. So what is the response to the dawn of this new hope? What is it called for? Well, it calls for repentance. 
Do you see it there in verse 17? Because from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent or turn around, change your mind. For the kingdom, the rule, the powerful rule of heaven is near. In Jesus, it has arrived. The ruling power of God. And that's the only right response to Jesus. And I wonder how you hear that. Is it a positive thing or a negative thing? I think it's easy to think in this country that people don't want to hear that anymore. But I can tell you there are people around the world who are longing to hear that. My colleagues in Niger had a youth group, a Muslim youth group. They've seen the realities of, of where, their, where their Islamic faith can take them and they've written to the, the, the man who does my job. He's saying, we're, we're about 30 young people. We'd love to know about Issa. We haven't, we, we haven't heard. We're in Mali. I was speaking to Joshua Ngunta, who does my job there. He's got a small mission team serving churches, but serving the rural um, uh, areas of, of the capital. And since uh, about 2012, when there was a, a radical move down to try and take Mali and, and to overrun it, a bit like ISIS has in Syria, that was pushed back by the French. But since then, he's had village after village after village come to them saying, when can you send us a missionary? We're just, we're just not used to hearing that, are we? We're used to hearing what no one really wants to hear anymore. But actually... There are many people, many people from Muslim backgrounds longing to hear about Jesus who just need workers. And I said to Joshua, I said, well, what kind of worker do you need? Do they need French even? He said, well, French would help because that's the language that they speak in. But even if they came with English, he said, we could put a translator with them and they could go into the village and they could talk about Jesus. I said, well, do they need any theological education? He said, well, no. Because if they've been trained in the Bible, if, if, the, if the church has discipled them, they've been well taught, then they can share Christ. Which means anyone could sit here, could be going to Mali, sharing the gospel with people who've never heard. Would you ever dream of that? Would you? In in Greece, in um, Europe, with all the migrants pouring in, my colleague is with me today, who's been going around the different parts of Europe to look for where churches are asking for help to work with migrants. Do you know what the churches are saying again and again and again? We're being helped with, with social development. We're being helped with clothes. But no one's helping us share the gospel. This is a church that believes the gospel. And you could take two weeks. You could be in a, a reception centre in Athens this summer. Sharing your life. Giving a Bible in Arabic. And one of those people could end up leading a church like one of the people that Josh met. He received a, an Arabic Bible... And he moved up with, with the migration, became a Christian. He's now leading a congregation of Arabic speakers. That's the power of the Bible. That's the power of God's word. That's what's happening. And that could happen in this country as well. Let's not lose sight of the power of, 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 of the gospel and what God is doing. But we need to turn around and not shy away from saying to others, yes, you do need to turn around. You need to follow Jesus. Let's keep that central. But secondly, Jesus calls us not just to turn our lives, to turn our whole beings around, to change our priorities so we're in line with his. He actually calls us to fish for people. And that's there in verses 18 to 22. And that's really the second application. If you want to say, well, as a church, individually, am I responding with intentionality the way Jesus would have me do so? 
Well, yes, if our lives are uh, committed to fishing for people. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee is repeated again for a reason. This is amongst the Gentiles. He meets two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, um, and John, sons of Zebedee. And both times he calls them. In verse 19 is is, is what he says to both. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. If you read this in Lebanon, it says, I'll read you, uh, you can easily translate it as, I will make you shooters of men or hunters of men because they don't have a word for fishing. (laughs) So it's a tricky thing to translate. But it's not an aggressive thing, is it? Fishing for people. When you read the rest of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 onwards, it starts with a life lived in godliness and obedience to Jesus. It's a life lived looking and leading for people, leading people to to, to see him for, for who we've seen him to be. King Jesus calls. And notice the immediacy. They just get, they just leave their nets. And, and then the second pair, well, they, they leave their dad. I wonder what their dad thought. We just don't know. It couldn't have been easy, could it? Dad, I'm leaving the family business. I'm leaving my profession. I'm leaving my source of income. I'm following Jesus. That's what he's told me to do. Probably isn't the first time they heard him speak. But have you chosen to follow Jesus first? First and foremost. As a church, what does it mean to follow Jesus first and foremost? At the very least, it means to accept his intention that the gospel is to go to all nations. That requires perseverance, requires willingness to adapt our lives, to live cross-culturally. And it's a challenge even in Sheffield, isn't it? I did some work on the ONS details um, of, of the census before I came, and clearly there are issues in Sheffield of, 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 of groups of people from different backgrounds where the church is not really reaching. And the question is, do we have a vision for that? Do you want to reach the people of Sheffield and beyond? Do you want to do that? And I'm saying, let us come alongside and let's help. Let's bring workers in to help with that. um, I had one church leader say to me, we just don't have the cross-cultural skills. Paul, I'm not looking at you. But I, as a church leader, didn't have the cross-cultural skills in London. My church didn't. We're, we're all too far, far too middle class, far too organised, and any in, interference in the way we've set our lives up was just a real inconvenience. But actually, Jesus doesn't call us to say, well, that's really inconvenient. He calls us to be intentional and say, yeah, I'll change my life. I'll change the way I do things. I will purposefully open the Bible this year with someone who is from a different cultural background, and I'll find out what they think, and I'll share, well, share my faith with them the person I am. In verse 24, it's no wonder that all of Syria were thrilled at what Jesus offered. In verse 23, he doesn't just go through Galilee teaching and preaching. He does that as as the priority. But he demonstrates the power of his rule in their lives, showing his love. It's an emphasis of Matthew that Jesus has the power over all these things He has power over us. And so in large crowds, in verse 25, come from all over the region. It's no wonder he's famous. Because of what he does. When he's in your life, in my life, what he does all over the world with people coming to him. 
The question is, is that our conviction? That he calls us not just to turn around, to follow him, to fish for people, that he calls us as a community to reach for the nations again, to continue reaching for the nations. We just recently merged with a mission agency called MECO, Middle East Christian Outreach. It's a wonderful group of missionaries in different parts of Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, and um, some have come out of Syria um, in, after the recent troubles. The reason I love what they do is that the church leaders say they understand us. And the church leaders say suffering is no bad thing for the church. It's a dramatic thing to say. And I speak to people like Bev in Beirut, who saw thousands of shut-in maids. I don't know if you know what that means, but people who are brought from Malaysia and different parts into Beirut are just kept in homes and are basically incarcerated. They can't leave the house. Do you know what she did? She was chucked out of one other Middle Eastern country and was, found herself in Beirut. She said, well, what, what shall I do with my time? She said, well, she found these, these, these mates. She thought, okay, well, let me, let me put the Bible on MP3 and let me get it recorded and let me get it paid for so I can go to these flats. I can find the, what she calls the janitor, the, the person who's the guard. She gives the MP3 to them and, she says, and she'll say, are there any housemaids here? And he'll say, well, no. She'll say, oh, come on, of course there are. And then she'll hand over the MP3. Just give this to her. Give this to the person. And then she'll go back. She has thousands of these things she's giving out. And do you know what happened? She went back to one, one, one flat. And one of the maids heard that she was there. She threw a towel down from the, I forget which floor it was. I think it was the third floor. She, she, came, she rushed down to get the towel. She knew she only had seconds but in sobs of tears, she was hugging Bev and saying, thank you so much, thank you. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for putting Jesus in my life. Because even though she's shut in, she can't get out. She's been liberated from her sin, from death, through faith in Christ. And that's what mission's about. Putting the Bible in people's lives so that God can call them to, to his son in a language they understand. And the opportunities around this world are huge. We need to look up and look out. There's masses going on. But the opportunities here are great. The thing I would say is don't let the needs here eclipse the needs globally. But let, the, let us send and receive workers so we can see more people equipped to make disciples cross-culturally so that more people hear of Christ in their lifetime and hear of the light of life in Jesus. Let's pray. Just a moment of quiet to... Think on what we've heard from, from Jesus. He's fulfilled promises long ago and what his intentions are now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that 
when you came into this world, you came after people who are lost in the darkness of death. Thank you that you came after us. Thank you for those who told us the message of the gospel. Those who came alongside us, shared their life with us. We pray, Lord, that you would use us as the people we are, the church we are, the gifts we've got, the situation in which you have placed us. That you would use us to, to step out with faith and with boldness, with repentance, and hold out your word of life to people who, are, who aren't like us, but who are dying without you. And please give us joy in Christ, joy in what you've given us, and that courage of conviction that says they need Christ above all else. Praise in your name. Amen.